All right, as we get ready for a time of studying God's Word uh, together, if you would like to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3, we'll get to that in just a moment. There'll be about four different places that we will be looking at in Scripture. If you got one of those bulletins as you came in and you look on the back, if you like to have something to follow along with, it will give you an indication of where we're going to be going this morning. Uh, Kids, I know pre-K through first graders, you guys normally at this time would be going to elevate to your children's church time, but it's the first Sunday of the month, so we're going to be staying in here uh, together during this time. Parents, grandparents, you know how I, uh, how I feel about that. If you need to go out to the to lobby, go for it. There is nobody in here judging you. Uh, if they are, they don't know what they're doing. So we see you walking out. We are with you, and we are for you, um, and we, we care about that. So have all the freedom in the world. That That's not a disruption at all uh, to me. We're just glad you're here as a family. Next Sunday, we will also all be in here together because that's the Sunday that our adult choir leads us in our Christmas program. So it's good for the kids to be in here. It's an easy service to participate in. You've got the music going, things like that. And so we're back in here all together as families next week. You heard just now from our choir, they're going to be leading us next Sunday If you are not able to be here next Sunday morning, or you have family that would like to come and be a part of hearing a choir like that, they also do the same program on Saturday night at 6 o'clock. So you've got that option. This coming Saturday at 6 o'clock is the same thing that happens on Sunday morning at at 10.30. And so just know that that's that's an option uh, for you as we do that. Let me give you a little heads up for the end of the service, the end of the, the sermon today. As we conclude our time together, we will have a, a prayer. Sometimes we, we do an invitation, come forward, everybody stand and sing. In fact, most of the time, that's how we do it. A little bit different service today, and so we'll have a closing prayer after the sermon. Kids who are in the kids' choir, uh, so those of you that know you're singing at the end of the service, when I pray at the end of my sermon, you guys are going to go to the back middle to head out to get ready to sing for us at the end of the service. Now, some weeks, you may see some adults who at the end of the service during the response time, they also head toward the back. They know they shouldn't be doing that. Disregard that. You being able to walk out during the invitation is just for this week. Don't pay attention to the other people that do that most weeks. They know they shouldn't do that. Um, You get to walk out, though, during the final prayer this week because we need you to get set up uh, to be able to lead us at the very end of, of our service. Our kids are singing for us tonight at 5 o'clock doing the children's music program. So they're going to do one of their songs for you. And then if you want to come back, not if you want to come back, you need to come back at 5 o'clock and see what they have worked on, the volunteers that have invested in their lives, the little preschool choir, they'll be singing again for us tonight. And so we want you to, uh, to be able to be a part of that. Kids, heads up what's happening this morning. This morning is called the first Sunday of Advent. Um, As you're listening to the sermon this morning, if you're doodling on some paper and taking some note yourself as a kid and drawing some pictures, draw pictures of the sun, the moon, the stars. Think about that as it relates to the Bible verses we're going to read. We're going to point out some things uh, about that as we start Advent. Advent, if you're not familiar with it, would be the four Sundays leading up to Christmas. Now, if you're like me, 
and you grew up in a small, uh, rural Southern Baptist church. We loved Christmas together. We celebrated Christmas together. You always look forward to that. I had not heard the word Advent, though. That was not something that, that I was familiar with. Advent is traditionally seen as part of the church calendar. Now, there's different ways that you approach this, uh, different ways that people think about it. Certainly, there's a good rhythm to life with just weekly Sabbath and then working and then coming back for worship and then working, and you have that weekly pattern. But in the Old Testament, you see a pattern of a yearly calendar. And then you see the wisdom of the early church in giving us this pattern and this calendar that's developed over the years. And so as Christians, whether you realize it or not, we have a yearly pattern. We have a yearly calendar that we follow. Advent are the four weeks leading up to Christmas. Kids, teenagers, this is crucial information for you. Christmas is traditionally actually a 12, not, yeah, 12 day period after Advent. Um, so the 12 days of Christmas isn't just a song, it's a reflection of the way the church works. And so you have four weeks leading you to prepare your heart for Christmas. And then if you play your hand correctly, you should get 12 straight days of presents starting on Christmas going ahead. Um, so Christmas is not just that one day. It's realizing, Mom and Dad, I have prepared my heart for four weeks waiting for Christmas to come. And then Christmas tide is this period that follows Christmas and then it leads on to a time that we usually call Lent. Lent is preparing your heart for Easter. There's the Sundays of Easter that lead up to Pentecost. Then there's something called Trinity Sunday. And then you have ordinary time, which is just the life we live that leads us back around to Advent. And then we start it all over again. Why is Advent such a big deal? Because we live in a culture that says get whatever you want Right now, no need to wait. Just have it right now. Or we live in a culture that frantically focuses around one particular day, December 25th maybe, with no thought to the purpose leading up to that day. Failing to recognize what it is to wait for the coming of the Messiah. To realize that God's people waited century after century for him to send the rescuer. And even in our own lives, we know what it is to wait. When you face sickness in your family, when you're looking for a job, when you're trying to hold on to a relationship, you're waiting. You're saying, God, how can we live in this world that's full of all this pain, all this trouble? When are you going to step in? And Advent, Christmas, is God's answer to say, I have and I will. I have defeated all of the enemies, and I will bring perfect salvation, and I will do it through my son, Jesus Christ. And so for the next four weeks, preparing our heart for Christmas, that's what we're doing, and then every day of our life, we're seeking to live out that reality. And so what I want to do this morning through God's word is lead you through that pattern, and the best part about it is it reflects perfectly in our study of Joshua that we've been doing. And so we're going to get to Joshua here in just a minute as well. Let's start in Genesis chapter 3. And when you start at the beginning of the Bible and you leave it open, it falls closed. But I, I found it again. So here we go. Genesis chapter 3, 
We're going to start in verse 12. The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. This is the story of Adam and Eve rebelling against the plan of God, following the serpent's advice. 13. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Genesis 3.15 is sometimes called the first gospel of Scripture. Uh, You're going to hear that presented in different ways, and certainly we want to be aware of how we're approaching this. This is really helpful, though, if you work well with remembering numbers in your mind. What do we normally think of when we think of the gospel? We think of John 3.16. Well, what would be the number just before that? It would be 3.15, and you go to the first book of the Bible, Genesis. So you can remember that Genesis 3.15 is the first gospel that leads to John 3.16, which shows us the fullness of God's plan. Because what you have here in Genesis 3.15 with the first gospel is this promise. Some people would say the word promise is too strong there. I would say it's just right, and we could go back and forth about that. But in Genesis 3.15, you have the promise here that the serpent will not win, that the enemy of God's people will not prevail, that there will be this battle, but it is a battle that will certainly be won. He shall bruise your head. You, the serpent, shall only bruise his heel. Okay, you're going to watch some on-stage, in-person self-counseling as I've continued to work through this over the years. You may know that I have what would amount to an unhealthy fear of snakes, uh, to, to say the least. So my grandfather, on my dad's side, owned a good bit of land, had a farm, and as any good grandfather would do, he had taken his tractor and drug a large boulder up into the front yard of, of their house there, and so we would play on the boulder as a kid, and you can see where this story's going to go quickly, but uh, had this boulder there in the front yard, and so we would play on it. I was a small child. I was playing on the boulder, and we heard everyone, you know, yelling, and so I jumped off the boulder, and the serpent struck my heel. Uh, I, was, I was bitten on the, the heel by, uh, by a snake that had made his home under the edge of, of this boulder, and so I still suffer from this. I still have serious consequences in my life from, from that particular moment, and uh, knowing everything that happens as a little kid, and so when I read a passage like this, that talks about he shall strike your heel. It was good news when my dad and uncles stepped up to make sure that that particular snake didn't bite anybody else ever again. We'll leave the story right there about what happened to the snake. But uh, when you know that someone you love and care for would be attacked by an enemy, that causes some righteous anger to boil up within you. And you say, that will not last. We will not allow that to stand. The enemy will be defeated. 
And from the very beginning, as God has laid out this perfect situation for his people, he's placed them in the Garden of Eden, he's given them true life, they've turned against him, they've listened to the enemy, the enemy will strike them on the heel, but he promises them that he will send one, that there will be victory, and that the enemy's head will be crushed. You say, okay, uh, where does this go? Joshua chapter 10 in your Bible. Joshua's going to be the fifth book. If you're looking there in your phone, you're going to be scrolling down just a little bit. We've been studying through the book of Joshua for the last couple of months, and it's leading us up to this Advent and Christmas time, and then we're going to go a different direction early in 2018 that you'll hear some more about. But Joshua chapter 10 was the next on the docket for us as a church. And what God did in my heart this week was open up an element of Joshua chapter 10 that tied it to the story of Advent. I want you to see how that happens, how this same theme from Joshua, or not from, from Genesis 3, you'll see a picture of that in Joshua 10. We're going to start in verse 1, and I'm going to do my best with some hard Old Testament names here, but just, just roll with me. We're going to read a good number of verses together, so if you don't have a Bible in front of you, you're going to want to look at the screen, kind of engage your mind. We're going to read quite a few verses together here. Joshua 10, verse 1. As soon as Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had captured Ai and devoted it to destruction, doing to Ai and its king as he had done to Jericho and its king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them, he feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city like, any, like one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than Ai and all its men were warriors. So Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent to Hoham, king of Hebron, to Piram, king of Jarmuth, to Japhia, king of Lachish, and to Debir, king of Eglon, saying, Come up to me and help me and let us strike Gibeon, for it has made peace with Joshua and with the people of Israel. Then the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon, gathered their forces and went up with all their armies and encamped against Gibeon and made war against it. Then in verse 6, And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp in Gilgal, saying, Do not relax your hand from your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us, for all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the hill country are gathered against us. So Joshua went up from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Not a man of them shall stand before you. So Joshua came up upon them suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgal. And the Lord threw them into a panic before Israel, who struck them with a great blow at Gibeon and chased them by the way of the ascent of Bet-Horon and struck them as far as Asakah and Makedah. Verse 11, As they fled before Israel, while they were going down the ascent of Bet-Horon, the Lord threw down large stones from heaven on them as far as Asakah, and they died. There were more who died because of the hailstones than the sons of Israel killed with the sword. At that time, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Sun, stand still at Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jasher? The sun stopped in the midst of heaven and did not hurry to set for a whole day. There has been no day like it before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. So Joshua returned and all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. 
Verse 16, these five kings fled and hid themselves in the cave at Makedah, and it was told to Joshua, the five kings have been found hidden in the cave at Makedah. Okay, a couple of things, and we're going to pick back up a little bit more in chapter 10. Watch, watch the pattern here. Genesis 1, the God who created all things, established heaven and earth, placed the moon, the stars, the sun in their place, laid the waters before his people. Chapter 3 of Genesis, the people turn against God. They go their own way. But he promises them that he will send someone to defeat the enemy who has deceived them. You get to the book of Joshua, and the same God who created all the elements of the world looks like he is completely in control of those elements. Need to cross a river? Waters part. Need to make some stones fall down? Walk around them. Need to defeat an enemy? Here comes great plain-sized hailstones to do that. Need a little bit more daylight? Sun stands still. Now, the enemies are trapped in this cave. God says, I will defeat the enemies. I will bring judgment on your enemies, and I will bring salvation to my people. Go down to verse 22. So in your mind, you have five kings of war trapped in this cave. The people know where they are. Verse 22. Joshua said, Open the mouth of the cave and bring those five kings out from the cave. Verse 23 just says that that's what they did. Verse 24. When they brought those kings out to Joshua, Joshua summoned all the men of Israel and said to the chiefs of the men of war who had gone with him, Come near. Put your feet on the necks of these kings. Then they came near and put their feet on their necks. And Joshua said to them, Do not be afraid or dismayed. Be strong and courageous. That sounds like Joshua 1, doesn't it? Be strong and courageous. For thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. Uh, Two short sentences on your note sheet there on the back of your bulletin to make sense of this. The steady star, the sun that held there in its place, and you could think of the waters, the hailstones, any of this. The steady star meant judgment of enemies and salvation of God's people. And the defeated kings and evil powers are overcome. But not just overcome, how are they overcome? It says that a foot is placed on their neck. Where in Scripture was there a promise that that would happen? Genesis 3. He will strike your heel, but you shall crush his head. We see a picture in Joshua 10 of the promise of Genesis 3 beginning to come to fulfillment. Book of Matthew in your Bible. That's the first book of the New Testament. You're about two-thirds of the way into your Bible at that point. Um, If you're looking in your phone, you're going to be looking at that very first book in the section called the New Testament. Book of Matthew. We get the first of what's called the Gospels in the Bible, those four accounts of who Jesus was, why he came, why he matters, begin to see that flesh out. Early in the Gospel of Matthew, early in the Gospel of Luke, you get the famous Christmas stories showing up there. I want you to look, though, at Matthew chapter 2 in particular. And what we're trying to connect here 
We have a steady star in Joshua. We have a promise in Genesis 3 of the enemy being crushed. Now we have Matthew chapter 2. We've jumped a little ways into the Christmas story here. Matthew chapter 2 verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it arose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And you fill it in with a, a yeah, right. <laughs> That's not at all what Herod had in mind. Uh, verse 9. After listening to the king Herod, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts gold and frankincense and myrrh and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod they departed to their own country by another way now kids I know some of you guys may have seen the movie the star uh, recently that came out so you got a little bit of that going on in your mind at this point but if you look on your note sheet there on the back of your bulletin you're going to see two comments and you're going to say oh it must be a typo they they just accidentally wrote the same thing down again no, not a typo. Purposeful repetition. The steady star meant judgment of enemies and salvation of God's people. And once again, the defeated kings and evil powers are overcome. Except this time, God has not sent Joshua to do the work. He has sent the perfect Joshua. He has sent his son the one who will truly come to save his people from their sins. And so Jesus shows up, and who does he confront? He confronts a king, just like what happened in Joshua chapter 10. He confronts a king who represents a world power, just like in Joshua chapter 10. And he takes on this king, this royal power that represents all of the empire that is set up against the people of God, and worse yet, Worse yet, some of the religious people at this time, they have started to side with the empire. They've started to side with the royal power because they can get in good. And being so cautious here, but when the religious people start to seek power from the empire, things are not in a good place at this point. And so Jesus comes and he says, nothing. Because he's come as a baby. Really. So in Joshua 10, we got a rated R. Hailstones, kings in a cave. We didn't even read the part because of kids in the room about what happens to the kings in the cave. And in Matthew 2, we get a baby. Some of, part of us says, yeah, I like Joshua better. 
I like the kind of like edgy, come on, really come and get the enemy. But is God's answer in Matthew 2 any less than it was in Joshua 10? Any less than it was in Genesis 3? No. Because when he sends the perfect Joshua, that Joshua, Jesus, will give his very life. He will defeat the enemies on the cross and through the resurrection. And you say, that's the good news. That's the hope of Christmas. That all of your enemies have been overcome and that God will come and rescue and save his people. Then why in the world, Owen, is my life falling apart Why is my loved one sick? Why can I not find a job? Why is our world a dumpster fire if that is true? If the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Prince of Peace showed up, why can't we get more Joshua 10? Why do we have Matthew 2? What's God up to? As God, what we're really trying to say is, has God really defeated the enemies? Has he really judged the enemies, overcome the kings, and brought salvation for his people? The answer is absolutely yes. And we have not seen the fulfillment of that yet. It is a kingdom that has come and is coming. There's a first advent when God came to defeat the enemies. And there will be a second advent when he will come and bring victory in full. One chapter over in your Bible to Mark chapter 13. And this will be our last place that we look at. Mark chapter 13 is sometimes called the little revelation or the little apocalypse. You're going to feel like when you read Matthew or Mark 13, you're going to feel like you're reading the book of Revelation. There's purposeful Uh, similarity between those two sections. What I want you to see connected together, the promise of Genesis 3, the picture of Joshua 10, what Jesus did in Matthew 2, coming here in Mark 13. And we're going to start in verse 24. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, And the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Time out just for a second. The God who set the sun and the stars and the moon in the sky, who held the stars steady in Joshua 10, who held the stars steady in Matthew 2, one day the sun and the moon and the stars will bow down before the Lord and their work will be finished because he is going to bring a new heaven and a new earth. He is going to bring to fulfillment all the promises that he has made to his people and that sun, that moon, that star that he controlled all the way along, they will give him final worship and then he will establish new heaven and new earth. Verse 29, oh actually verse 26, sorry. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. 
So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Verse 32. Now concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey. When he, comes, when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Verse 35. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. What do you do if you believe the promise of Genesis 3, you see the picture in Joshua 10, you've put your faith in the story of Matthew 2, how do you live in light of that? This says to keep your eyes open. I think this imagery with our eyes is really, really helpful in, in the world we live in. Sometimes you watch the news, you look at a situation in your own life, and everything inside of you just wants to turn and look away. Like, I, I can't even look at that. How, how do I deal with what's right in front of me? The story of Advent, the story of Christianity, is, is twofold. We don't look away because the God that we serve came to us. He didn't look away from our situation. He came to us in the midst of our pain and our brokenness and our sin. So what do you do as a Christian? You do two things. You close your eyes in prayerful, worshipful trust of God. You say, there's a lot of hurt in this world. There's a lot of pain in this world that I can do nothing about. But I can close my eyes in prayer, and I can close my eyes at night knowing that the one who controls the sun, the moon, and the stars is in control. In a world full of panic and doubt and pain, the imagery of closing your eyes is so counterculture. It says, I trust, I pray, I worship, and at the end of the day, I go to sleep, knowing that he is completely in control. And then I open my eyes and I look around, and I live with hope, and I live with watchfulness, and I live knowing that God is at work and that he has called us to be at work. So a Christian going through Advent, preparing for Christmas, doesn't look the other way, and definitely does not look down, condemning the world around us. We close our eyes in prayer, worship, and sleep, and we open our eyes so that we can live the message of Advent in front of the world around us. If you are broken by the pain and sickness of your family, if you are broken by a relationship that is happening in your life that seems to be falling apart, if you are overwhelmed by the day-to-day -day realities of life, do not panic, do not doubt, do not give up. Instead, lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Because who created all those? He who brings out the stars one by one 
and calls them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. So why do you say, O Jacob, and why do you complain, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God? Do you not know? Have you not heard? He is the everlasting God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. He does not grow tired and weary. His understanding who can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and power to the weak. Even youth grow tired and weary. Unless they're preschoolers. But even youth grow tired and weary. And young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will rise up on wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not be faint. Would you bow your heads with me? Kids choir, if you guys respectfully uh, and as quietly as you can, if you guys would go to that back center door, Miss Courtney is going to take you guys around. Friends that are in the room right now, would you think about that picture, that promise from Genesis chapter 3? That there we stand, we stand there with Adam and Eve knowing that we have rebelled against God, that there have been times that we have turned against your word and against your promises. And we hear that the serpent will strike our heel. But we also hear that his head will be crushed. And God, we see you in Joshua 10 coming to judge the enemies, to judge the powers of the world, to bring salvation. We imagine that sun standing in the sky and then we imagine the star at Christmas standing in the sky. And this time, you've come to judge the enemies and bring salvation, but it's through the giving of your son who would come and give his life for the sins of the world. And then we read Mark 13 and we know that the story is not finished that we look around us we look in our own hearts we look in our own homes and we've seen pain and we've seen brokenness and we've seen struggle and it's so easy to give up it's so easy to doubt and to say well if God was going to judge the enemies why this why that and so father all we can do is we can close our eyes in prayer and worship and sleep and then we can look to the stars we can look to your word We can look to your church. And we would say that we are going to live in such a way that we will stay awake. That we will be watchful. Father, help us this week to live with our eyes wide open. To live in such a way that we see your hand at work. We see opportunities to speak love and peace and joy into our world when everyone else is frantic, that we are slowly making our way to Christmas. We're remembering the purpose 
of Christmas. When we see friends who feel overwhelmed by the pain in their lives, we're not looking the other way or looking down. We are stepping right into that pain with them so that they would be reminded of your hope and your love. God, for us as a church, God, would you transform us from the inside out? Father, would you do a work in and among us that only comes in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit? Father, we give ourselves fully to you at this time. Father, may we walk in faith and obedience as we move ahead. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.